Welcome to the Family Life Christian Center podcast. Here we aim to help you fulfill your highest calling in Christ by strengthening your relationship with God, your community, and yourself. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Happy New Year, everybody. So glad that we could be doing this together. This is exciting. Uh, And yeah, I'll just say it again, how cool it is that in the year that we are uh, going to be getting into the living room, the fact that we are starting our year the same way we are going to end our year (laughs) in the living room, which is very exciting. So uh, I just want to pray before we get started, and then we'll hop into it. I have a short word today, but a very fun one. Uh, So let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for a new year. Thank you for uh, family gathering together. What better way to start the year than focused on you, surrounded by family, breaking bread together with the church, with our little ecclesia. Uh, it's beautiful, God. It's, it, there's even, there's a long time we were dreaming about home church, and today that's what we're doing. So God, thank you for this chance to even live out that dream in even a small way. Uh, thank you for every person here. God, we pray that uh, this would be a year of growth, of abundance, of prosperity, of uh, just great blessing, God, of internal growth as well as external growth, that more people would come to know you, uh, that we would uh, just expand your kingdom here in Carroll Stream uh, today in Winfield. Today, we, uh, we just pray that you would do great things in family life this year, and we know that most external growth happens first when we are growing internally. So God, we pray we focus on you today. You would change us on the inside so that we can make an impact outside of ourselves. God, we love you, and we pray you bless this entire day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Today, I want to do something that I don't think I've ever done before, especially not at family life. I want to tell you a story, but not just any story. It is a sports story. Can anyone recall any time I have told any story about any, any sport? I can't think of a single one. And this is, and that's where you know it must be a good story because for somebody who's watched like three sporting events in their life, this one caught my eye. So some of you may know this, some of you may not, but it just, it stuck with me since college. And again, the things that stick that long must have something to them. So today I want to tell you the story of Sam Hinkie and the Philadelphia 76ers. Does anybody know this story? Perfect. Wonderful. So I'm not the only one who never watches sports. Great. Or at least not NBA. So Sam Hinkie, he's a guy who loved analytics. And he was, you know, summa cum laude, graduated, had a master's degree, rose up the ranks, and eventually became the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. The 76ers were not a good team. They were not the worst team, but they were not the best team. And Sam Hinkie came in thinking about analytics, saying, I think I can turn this team around. I have a plan. So they said, all right, Sam, try your plan. So on his first day, he spoke to the public and said, listen, everybody, 76ers fans worldwide, we're going to try something different. It's going to get really bad, but then it's going to get better. (laughs) That's essentially what he was saying to all the fans. Imagine if someone came out, and if you love the Bears, someone said, hey, the Bears are about to get a lot worse, but then they'll get better. (laughs) You think, how, how much lower could they go? Yeah. So this is so this is basically what he was pitching to these avid fans of the Philadelphia 76ers. He said, "I have a plan, but things are going to get worse, but then they're going to get better. I just need you to do two things: be patient and trust the process." That was his message to all these fans, and everyone's like, "This is bad. I don't like this. I already hate this." Because Sam Hinkie, the game that he decided he was going to play is because the 76ers were a mediocre team. 
They never had enough talent on their team to win any championships, but they also weren't bad enough that they got really good draft picks because in the NBA, when you're picking new players for your team, the worst teams in the league usually get first choice of the best players in coming into the NBA. And since they didn't have any assets they could trade and they didn't have enough uh, financial wealth to be able to recruit players, they didn't have enough swaying power to recruit any good players, their only chance of getting any better players on their team was through the draft. So Sam Hinkie says, what we need to do is tank the team. We need to become worse so that we get better draft picks. But if we do that for enough years, suddenly we'll have this all-star cast of amazing NBA stars, and then we'll be the kind of team that wins championships. So that was his plan. That was his process. And everybody hated it. Nobody loved it. Everyone was mad about it. And the first year that they put that into practice, Sam Hinkie joins the team. The previous year, they had only won 34 games out of 82. Not a great year. The first year Sam Hinkie came in, they only won 19 games. That is a 44% increase in failure. And people were livid. Tweets were flying. Everybody was mad. Profanities swarmed the land like locusts. And people were saying, what have you done to our team? You are ruining everything, Sam Hinkie. And things got worse. But then they got a really good draft pick. And they picked up this guy named Joel Embiid. And he was really good. And another thing they did was they traded their only decent player in exchange for a better draft pick. They said, we're just going for the draft picks until we have this all-star cast. So now after one year of this new guy in charge, the average fan looks out and says, you gave up our only good player. You tanked our team by almost half. You know, it's half as good as it used to be. And it wasn't even good to start. And you're saying it's only going to get worse. And he's, his response to all these criticisms was, be patient. Trust the process. So, okay, Sam Hinkie, we'll give it a shot. Some people said, you know what? We did actually get a good draft pick. Maybe there's some merit to this. So then the next year happens. And you know, know what happened the next year? It got worse. It got significantly worse. They had 19 wins and they had 18 wins. Now it's worse. But you know what else they got? A good draft pick. And then the next year, do you know what happened? It got worse. It got a lot worse. They went from 19 to 18 to 10 wins out of 82. The fans were losing their minds. But... In the midst of all the chaos and the low attendance scores at all of the NBA games, there was a new chant that rose up out of the stands. And as, you know, Joel Embiid, who was their first actual good player that they recruited through this new system, he's standing up to take the free throw, dribble on the ball, and from the, from the balconies, from the stands, all the way up to the nosebleeds, you hear this chant of people going, trust the process, trust the process. Trust the bro as they're losing miserably in the middle of this game. So somehow these fans are out here watching their team be destroyed and humiliated, but they're up there in the stands cheering, saying, trust the process. And actually that player, Joel Embiid, who was one of the first good draft picks, he eventually got the nickname, The Process. So when you say trust the process, they were really saying trust Joel Embiid. But what he was saying was trust that I am a product of the process. The reason he was there at all was because there was a plan. And if we just wait long enough, we stick to the plan, we stay focused, and we trust that this process will work, it will work. So three years go on, and uh, one of my favorite things is in the, in the stands, there was a hashtag going around on Twitter. One said, in Hinky we trust, which is great. Sam Hinky's plan, we trust him. And the other thing was a fan-made poster of a guy holding up a sign that said, now we're stinky, but I trust Hinky. <laughs> and it was this understanding of like, things are bad. We know. 
but they're going to get better if we just trust the process, if we just wait a little bit longer. So then after three years, Sam Hinkie got fired. Apparently people got a little too upset with his process and the team was worse than it had been in I think 40 years or something like that. It was one of the worst years that the team had ever had and he got fired. And fans, there was a lot of controversy. Some people were like, finally, now it could just be a good team again. But other people were like, that wasn't it. That wasn't the whole process. But still, three years of this suffering and the sacrifice and the losses and the losses and the losses, then there came the next year. And the next year, when Sam Hinkie was in, in his last year, they won 10 games. The next year, they won 28 games. That's a lot better. The following year, they won 52 games. And for the first time in a long time, they had finally qualified for semifinals. They were actually contenders to win a title, which they had not done in a very, very long time. So Sam Hinkie, while he only had three years to implement his process, those three years of sacrifice have now brought the 76ers out of obscurity They're now a relevant team and championship contenders that are getting better year after year after year because of the sacrifices that were made in those three years. People trusted the process. And now we nobody was positive, but by faith. And Hinky, we trust. We trust your plan. Now, six years after he implemented his process, the team is better than it has been in a very long time, decades. So what does this teach us? There is a... Well, I'm going to change gears for a second. The two important things there, be patient, trust the process. How is everybody's Christmas? Good, blessed. That's great. That's a very Christian answer. Good job. Yep. (laughs) Christianese. So for Christmas, one of my favorite things that I got, I affectionately refer to as a robo garden. I love to cook. And one of the best things you could do to be a really impressive cook is to have fresh herbs, right? Anybody can shake a little jar, but if you run out to your garden and you pluck at a fresh basil and you crush it over the pizza, so great, right? That's what I wanted. So because I'm a pretentious cook, I want a robo garden that would allow me to grow herbs year round because we've planted a few herbs in our backyard. We're not diligent about watering them. Most of them die, except chives. Chives are unkillable. It is unbelievable. It's ridiculous. So... All of our previous herbs have died, so I said, hey, what if I got this little robot garden? What you do is it has a light on the top of it and a big base on the bottom. It it regulates all of the water intake for the plants. It has a timer to set just the right amount of light for the plants, and you even put little plant food in there so we make sure that every plant is perfectly nourished, and it's basically you pop these little pods in this thing, and you press go, and then you get fresh herbs, and I can't kill them because I, I'm not, I have no part in the matter. They just kind of grow on their own. So it's the perfect gift because I'm going to have fresh garden herbs and I don't even have to take care of them. It's amazing. So last Christmas, or the day after Christmas, I set up this garden. I put in the water. I put in the plant food. I plugged it in. I got the lights set up. I figured out the timer. I put all the pods and the things and I hit go. And it's been over a week now and I have seen no change. Not a single thing has happened. These pods still look exactly the same as they did when I first put them into their little holes. And now I finally realized days later where I was like, man, this is taking a long time. I looked on the top of the pods and it said things like six to eight weeks, seven to 12 weeks. Oh, you're saying these things take time to grow. I don't know why I was surprised by that. Like I thought plants would just fully bloom overnight, but apparently that's not how it works. And it was funny because when I read... (laughs) Well, you think about, you know, I put all the pods in, I did all the work, I did all the setup, and every single day, 
And again, this does it all for me, but I'm still feeling the pain of waiting for the process to happen. I'm still impatient about it. And imagine if it was an actual plant and I had to do this crazy thing where I had to like put on my shoes and fill up a can of water and actually walk outside and pour that water on the earth. Imagine if I had to do that every day for several weeks before I saw even a little sprout. Even that, wouldn't that be crazy? And what's crazy is that now you think about, maybe I'm doing this for a week, and then two weeks, and then three weeks, and then four weeks, and I'm looking at the same pile of dirt going, why am I doing this? What is the point? Why am I out here every single day, getting up early, walking out here, getting on the galoshes, doing the whole thing, just so I can keep looking at the same stupid pile of dirt? Nothing is happening. But that is when I read that little sign, like, how long does the seed take to grow? Oh, six to eight weeks. What that really says is, trust the process. Danny, <laughs> give it a minute. Be patient. Trust the process. And these plants will grow. You may not see it yet, but you know that something is happening under the surface that just takes some time. And if you would just be patient and trust the process, you will have this garden that you were hoping for. And how perfect is that? You know, you think about that too. If this process that I'm being asked to trust is the process of plant growth. And with or without human intervention, plant growth has been doing great since the dawn of time. So it's not like it needs much help from me for me to trust. I just trust that if a seed is planted and watered, it will grow. It doesn't even take faith for that. Of course it will. That's what it does. Of course it's got to grow because when you water a plant and it has food and sunshine, it grows every single time. So the process I have to trust is that this seed will do what every seed has done since the beginning of time. And then when you think about it that way, you go, okay, I'll trust, I'll trust that process. I'll give it another week or two. If they say six to eight weeks, I'll give it 10. Because I believe, I'm confident that if I'm just patient and I wait long enough and I'm consistent and diligent, that this will eventually become not just a plant, but something that will continue to add fresh life and produce into my life for years to come. This plant may be alive for a decade, especially if I'm not in charge of keeping it alive. I trust the robot more than I trust myself. But since the robot will keep my plant alive, if I just trust it long enough to blossom, I will have what I'm waiting for, what I'm hoping for. So I think about this too of in Psalm 126, five through six, that famous verse most of us know, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy or songs of praise because his sheaves with him. It's that same idea of I'm going out there and I'm watering and I'm watering and I'm watering. And then after weeks of this, when I maybe want to be eating, I have to sit here and keep watering the seed and it looks like nothing is happening. I might be watering the ground with my tears shortly after that. And that's what it means to sow in tears because it means I don't get it today. Today looks like loss and hunger and sacrifice, but next year, I'm going to be singing songs of joy of look what happened because of what I did last year. So moving on to, you may think, why are we sharing this now? Why is this the first message of our year? Well, it's January 1st, everybody. Anybody make any New Year's resolutions? Anybody want this year to be better than last year? Anybody want to grow and change at all this year? You know, with a new year, it feels like a fresh start, a new beginning, and we want this year to be better than last year. We want to be planting seeds that we can eat next year. In a lot of ways, this year, we're going to be eating last year's seed. For instance, all of the money that we raised, all the work that we did, all the plans and the effort and the sacrifice and the struggle and the battle to raise this money to purchase this building, to have this thing called the living room. Last year, we did all of this work, and you might look at our new building now and be like, 
Nothing has changed. There's, here we are in the same old building with the same old backdrop and the same old seats. Nothing is happening. I'm just looking at a pile of dirt waiting for something to change, and it looks like nothing is changing. But we know better that things are happening. They just take time. Maybe our first sprout was, we have an actual building now. It's there, but we can't meet in it yet. No, but if you would just be patient and trust the process very soon, this will be a life-giving plant, a tree that will bring us shade and shelter for decades to come. We just have to be patient and trust the process. And to take it on a more personal level, we've been doing this thing for a while now. I don't know when it started, but we affectionately refer to it as Buff Boys. And what that is, Buff Boys with a Z, I should mention, what that is is a 5.30 a.m. workout that's difficult, uh, that's run by J.C. Aikenhead, who's not here now, uh, but Andrew does that with me. I do it as often as I can. I'm still all, not always 100%, uh, but Kenny was the first one who like almost dragged me there against my will, uh, and that has been an ongoing thing. Ben Tabies is a regular there as well. David Barrow is a regular there, and we have all these guys in our church that wake up at 5 o'clock to go and sweat and suffer together at 5.30 in the morning. Why would we do that? Well, because we know that those are seeds that are being planted. We are sacrificing now, but we're going to receive a reward later. We used to call it Buff Boys, but now we call it Kingmaker. And the reason we call it Kingmaker is because we want to be kings. You know, kings and priests is what we are all supposed to be. And what is a good king? Well, let's look at David. David was a diligent, brave shepherd. Uh, he was in touch with his heart. He was surrendered to God, and he ruled with wisdom. Kings can care for their sheep, and they can also kill giants. So we want to be the kind of kingmakers in this thing. We're making kings out of ourselves by saying we're going to learn how to fight. We're going to learn how to be strong and courageous. We're going to learn how to care for each other, tap into our emotions. At the end of every workout, we read a declaration together to center ourselves back on God and to call ourselves higher and become kings out of the little boys, the little shepherd boys that we once were. We're being made stronger. And I did this the first time I went there, woke up at five, I was sleepy. I got there, I sweated, I suffered, I felt sore and broken, and I got home and I was sleepy by 1 p.m. because I got up so early. And then I looked in the mirror and I thought, well, that was pointless. <laughs> Nothing has changed. I'm still the same soft, lanky thing that I was before. There's no difference in this. So then I went for a week and then looked in the mirror and thought the exact same thing. And then I went for a month and looked in the mirror and thought the exact same thing. But now here we are four or five, maybe six months later, that I'm actually starting to see small changes. I don't look like JC. I don't look like Ben Tabiz. Obviously not. But one day, I will. And do you know why? Because Ben and, and JC, they look at me and they say, Danny, trust the process. You're not there yet. This doesn't happen overnight. But if you remain consistent and patient and trust the process, this will bear fruit in your life. It will become something that can nourish you for decades to come if you would just give it the time that it needs and the energy that it needs to just bloom, then you will begin to see the thing that you're hoping for. So that's why we need people on the other side of our journeys that can call back to us, say, hey, trust the process. <laughs> like when I get tired of putting money in my 401k and I say, I feel like I'm just putting money in a hole somewhere, I would so much rather buy something new or go on a cool trip, but then there's my dad on the other side saying, hey, trust the process. Don't take money out of that. Put as much as you can in there and then be patient. And it will feel like nothing for a long time. But by the time you finally see that thing bloom, you will never regret it. Trust the process. Right now it looks like dirt, but tomorrow it's going to look like a palace. It's going to look amazing. Just trust. Just be patient and trust. The system works. The process works. 
When I get tired of dieting or things like that, I can look at the other people in my life who know health and say, hey, I felt like you felt. I felt tired and bored and bloated and, and ashamed of myself for so long. But trust the process. You've been dieting for what? A month, two months? Keep going. Why? Because these things take time. Right now, it feels like nothing but loss after loss after loss after loss after sacrifice over monotony and nothing is changing and nothing is improving. But if you trust the process, if you are patient long enough, you will see the fruits of what you are planting here. So why do I tell this story again? Because I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy 30. We're also a church here, so we're talking about our hearts as well. We're not just talking about healthy practices. Believe it or not, this is not like a self-help program. You know, this is a, we're not just trying to become better people and just, you know, for our own sakes, we're trying to be transformed into the image of God. That is really what we're doing. So the person who in scripture, I think said it best, I love it, is Moses. And what I love about this too, this is, was, this was some of Moses's last words. I've mentioned this before. I never really did the deep dive, but I want to read this. It's a big chunk here, but imagine you're Moses. You have gotten the people out of Egypt and now they're in the wilderness and it used to be bad, and now it's actually worse. But Moses knew this is a necessary step. We have to go to the wilderness, and it is going to look worse. And we are going to be hungry, and we are going to wander. And we're not going to have the things that we had in Egypt. But if you're patient and wait and trust the process, we'll get somewhere better than where we used to be. But we have to go through this valley of suffering before we get to this new place. So as the people are in the wilderness, all of them are saying, what are we doing out here? This was Moses' last appeal to the people saying, trust the process. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20. He says, you know God's laws, and it isn't impossible to obey them. His commands aren't in heaven, so you can't excuse yourselves by saying, how can we obey them? They're in heaven and we can't reach them. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. Verse 13, and you can't say, how can we obey the Lord's commands? They're across the sea. And so someone has to go across and bring them back and explain them. No, I love this in verse 14. These commands are nearby and you know them by heart. They're nearby, like, I don't know, on your phone, Bible app, on your Bible, sitting in front of you. They're right there. They're nearby and you know them by heart. How many times have we met here on Sundays talking about getting that word into our heart? And then he says, all you have to do is obey. You just got to do it. You just got to do what it says. The Bible is a process. Just do what it says. Be patient and trust the process. Verse 15, he says, "Today, this is Moses. Today, I'm giving you a choice. You can choose life and success, or you can choose death and disaster. I am commanding you to be loyal to the Lord, to live the way as he has told you, and to obey his laws and teachings. Trust the process. You're about to cross the Jordan River and take the land that he's giving you if you obey him. He's saying, the land that's been promised, you're about to go get it. Just be patient. Trust the process. Don't change plans. Don't change directions yet. You're on the right path. Just trust it. You'll get there. Back in there. On the other hand, you might choose to disobey the Lord and reject him. So I'm warning you that if you bow down and worship other gods, you won't have long to live. Now I call the sky and the earth to be witnesses that I am offering you this choice. Will you choose the Lord to make you prosperous and give you a long life? Or will he put you under a curse and kill you? Choose life. And now here's what I love about the way that this is phrased right here. Will you choose for the Lord to make you prosperous? So the question is not, 
can the Lord make me prosperous or will the Lord make me prosperous? What if that depended on you? What if it's actually our job to be blessed? What if God's gift to us was the process? And that is actually the answer to the prayer. And he says, God, I want a garden. He says, okay, here's a seed. What if that's it? God, I want to be healthy. Okay, here's the instructions on how to do that. No, God, just make me healthy. No, no, no. I didn't give you the gift. I gave you a process. And if you trust me, and if you trust the process, trust the person who gave you the process, and trust the process and walk it out, you will get the thing you've been praying for. So maybe God's blessing in our lives, becoming prosperous and successful and having a long life, maybe that's more dependent on us than it is on God. God has made the provision. He's given us the process. All we have to do is obey. Back in verse 14 there. Now, last thing he says, be completely faithful to the Lord your God. Love him and do whatever he tells you. The Lord is the only one who can give life and he will let you live a long time in the land that he promised to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now he says, basically, there's two choices. There's choose God, which is also to choose life and success and prosperity, or you can choose death. Like that's the, that's the only other option, because if he has the keys of life, then where else can we go? If he has the words of life, we're only going to get it from him. Anyone else doesn't have it. So we have to trust his process because it's the only one that works. So he says, you have life and you have death. Which do you choose? And you may think it's not like, okay, here's now the pearly gates on one side and here is, you know, hellfire over here and you're just choosing, do I just die or do I just live? It's not that simple either. Both of those choices are also a process because I might choose something of saying, you know what? Forget the diet, forget working out, cast off all restraint. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's a big step towards death. I might not die today, but I'm heading that way. And if I make that same decision day after day after day after day after day, I'm going to get a lot closer to this hell that I want to avoid. But if I say, you know what? I am going to do it. I am going to get, a five, get up at 5 a.m. And I am going to tend my garden. And I am going to do this work. And I'm not going to make those same choices. And I am going to spend time in the Word. Then I'm taking one step at a time. I'm stepping closer to heaven and closer to heaven and closer to heaven. I think we think about heaven as something we just instantly find ourselves in, but it does not work that way. We get to heaven one inch at a time, over time. We're setting our sights on a different course. This is what Moses is saying. All of these decisions are life or death. It's just a matter of time. There was an old phrase that said, show me your habits and I'll show you your future. So if I'm in the habit of pure hedonism and self-gratification, then if I'm already in that habit, I'll be like, I don't even need you to check back in with me in another year. I know exactly how this story ends. You can call that prophetic if you want. I just recognize the pattern. I recognize the story that your life is telling, and I know where it ends, and I know where it's going. Because you're on a path, and that path is a habit that over time will yield the same result. But in the same way, someone on the right path over time will eventually find the good result. So everything is a matter of life or death. It's just a matter of time. So now, as you are beginning this year, saying, I want to put in practice new habits, new things that are going to make my life successful. I want to be blessed. I want to see the abundance that God has, has promised me. I want to live in this promised land and get where I aim to go and see my life become fruitful. All we have to do is be patient and trust the process. We have to know the process, and then we have to obey the process. So if you're making that decision now, I have some sober news for you. January is not going to be any fun at all. 
That's just how it goes. Like we saw with the Philadelphia 76ers, for three years, it was just loss followed by more loss followed by more loss. But today's fans are grateful that 2013 fans paid that cost. So, 20, so January is going to feel a lot more like we're paying the bill and we're getting nothing in return. Anytime we start something new like this, every time we plant a new seed, it's very discouraging for that first month or so. But my encouragement to you is be patient and trust the process. It will work. It will work over time. And I think rather than saying, I'm, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour every single day. My first advice to you would be don't think about doing that every day forever. Think about 30 days. 30 days is step one. If you can do it for 30 days, now it's a habit. And now your habit will lead you to that goal. It's just a matter of time. So your goal is not to get all the way to the finish line. Your first goal is to set the habit. And that's going to take about 30 days. So for whatever you're trying to do, learn the piano, go on dates, become a genius, read books, write books, whatever it is, your first goal is going to be be consistent for 30 days until it becomes a habit. Then you have already won. It's just a matter of time. So start with a habit. Second thing too, get crystal clear on why you're trying to do that thing. Like, why would you be doing it? Because I was even thinking about the, uh, um, the parable of the sower, where good seed is scattered on the ground and the birds come and eat it up. They're just like, oh, you shouldn't do that because of this and this and this and this and all these other things. You know, you could fill your calendar with anything and you can find doubts and bad reasoning for anything. But if you actually want something to grow, you got to plant it deep. You have to actually decide, why do I want to do this thing? Does it matter? And so why would I get up at five o'clock to go work out with some dudes from church? Well, one, and I would recommend this, some people may disagree with me. I think it's valuable to understand not only the heaven you are running toward, but to also describe the hell you are running from. It's positive and negative reinforcement, and both are helpful. We can't just say, oh, I just want all the good things. It's also, no, I also don't want these bad things, okay? So that's helpful. So why would I get up at 5 a.m. to go work out? Well, because I want to be in better health, because I want to have community because I want to have accountability, because I want to get stronger. I want to develop discipline. And why is it at 5.30 in the morning? Because it's harder. And why did we choose for it to be harder? So we can actually develop good discipline. We're lifting hard weights, not just in the actual weight, but in the time we have to wake up, because that's part of the process. But then, that's the heaven I'm running after. But what's the hell I'm running from? The hell I'm running from is I don't want to be a weak person. I don't want to be somebody who's not capable of doing hard things. I don't want to be somebody who makes excuses and takes the easy road because I know where that road ends. I don't want to be someone who begins every day against my will. I want to be someone who is choosing how to start their day, starting with a declaration, starting with strength and difficulty and setting myself on that path. I don't want to be weak and scared. I want to be brave and strong. And that's going to take sacrifice. There is a hell I'm running from and there is a heaven I'm running towards. Both motivate me in different ways. And last but not least, have somebody in your corner who has completed the process. Remember, it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. He knew what it looked like on the other side. God was telling him constantly, this is what's waiting for you. Stay in it a little longer. Endure a little longer. Suffer a little longer, and you will get that reward. Like my dad with the IRA, with JC and Ben, with physical strength. Joe Barlow with reading my Bible. Why would I read my Bible every day? Joe Barlow is experiencing the fruit of that practice. And he'll tell you all about it, that it matters. You might say, but it's boring and I'm distracted. I don't have time. He's going to say, trust the process. It is worth it. So last thing I want to say, Galatians 6, verses 7 and 9. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And this I love, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Be patient, trust the process. We even felt like this in our last year where we did all this work to get this building and it feels like it's not, it just still looks like a pile of dirt. And we did all this work to strengthen our leaders and to strengthen our bylaws and our our staff inside the church. And it still feels like we've only made small steps. But then every single day, we see another sprout of it's working and another sprout, it's working. And every time we pray and ask God, God, what are we even doing with all of this? Why are we doing all this work? Why am I suffering? Why am I up late again? And why are we putting in all this effort again? Why are we, instead of just doing the easy things, why are we doing all this extra effort to have this super cool breakfast in a living room for our first service? Because it's worth it. Because that's a seed planted. Why are we doing all of this good? Don't grow weary in doing good because we will see that harvest. We are going to see souls saved. We're going to see the lost come to church. We're going to see Carol Stream find a home. We're going to see people grow tremendously. We're going to see leaders launched, people actually fulfilling their highest calling in Christ. We're going to see people who look more like Jesus if we would just be patient and trust the process. Do not grow weary of doing good. We will, we will get that harvest in due season if we do not give up. So what I'm going to tell you today, as you're setting your sights on the new year, Whatever changes you want to make, however you want to grow, know the process, trust the process, and do it with people who can encourage you to complete the process. Trust it, be patient, and don't give up. That's it, Gary. Thank you for listening to the Family Life Christian Center podcast. We hope this message left you feeling encouraged, equipped, and empowered to fulfill your highest calling in Christ. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave us a review and share us with your friends. That is a simple but significant way that you can help us spread the word about what we're doing here. And if you would like to support our mission financially, we would be honored if you would consider partnering with us through your giving. If you'd like to make a donation to Family Life, you can use Venmo or Zelle to the email address info at familylife.cc. You can also text any amount that you would like to give to the number 84321. If you would like more giving options or you would like to plan a visit or learn more about our church, please visit our website at familylife.cc. We would also love for you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at familylifecc. Thanks again for listening and God bless.